Even this morning in the children's talk, and my wife said to me when I went out this morning, now remember Ian, no leech one-liners. And then she said to me, Ian, whatever you do, encourage the church. So I say this very carefully, please accept me, but even this morning, in the children's talk, the emphasis, if you look carefully, was on the cross. You say, what's wrong with that? It's only half of the gospel message. Two weeks ago, I was with Alistair Begg, who sends his warm greetings to you at Charlotte Chapel and looks forward to being with you uh, later this year. I was at Moody Bible Institute's pastor's conference where I had been asked to do three seminars on the book. I listened to two outstanding Christian pastors in America speak on returning to the gospel. And as I listened to them, again, both of them failed to give the full gospel. And so my great concern is to show that Christianity is a lifestyle. And if the life is not changing, you may have all the right answers to the theological questions But you're not living the Christian life. So, I call it life before death. The backdrop is Romans 5 that you had read this morning. But I'm not giving an expository sermon. I just want you to, those who are willing to do it, look at what is said and see how it all comes out of that passage. I would ask you to direct your attention right now to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. It's the very first book in the Bible, so it shouldn't be too difficult to find. And it says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. A very simple statement about the beginnings is this, That Adam was created in the image of God to have a relationship with God and reflect the likeness of God. So let's look at this. God created Adam in his image. What was that image? It was a twofold image. As God is twofold in the sense of his character, his essence. It was an image of holiness, for without holiness it is impossible to please God, impossible to have a relationship with God, because there is no other way to have it. So God who is holy created Adam holy so that they had the freedom, Adam and Eve eventually the freedom for the relationship. But God is a personal God, and by that means he possesses the characteristics of personality. He is a mind with which he thinks, emotion with which he feels. He is a will with which he decides. And he created Adam personal. And now Adam, with his mind, could know God, and with his emotion could feel God, and with his will could obey God. So it was an image of holiness, and it was an image of personality. Holiness, in fact, provided, dare I say, a right relationship, and personality provided 
a right behavior. You see, in the end, you can tell a lot about the Creator if you look at His creation. And as they lived together, Adam and Eve, as they lived in their relationship, if you had had a peaky bow into the Garden of Eden, you'd have been able to know what Adam looked like and Eve looked like. You'd have seen them living in love and enjoying in peace and in patience and kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. Telling you that their creator God was a God of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and meekness and self-control. Adam was alive, alive in his relationship with God, alive spiritually, whereby there was a relationship between the creator and the creature, whereby they walked hand in hand. And in that situation, he reflected the likeness of his creator. And God was pleased at his creation and what he had made. For he saw his children reflecting accurately his character by the way they lived in relationship to each other. But we direct our attention to Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Two little statements. Adam died in his relationship with God and his ability to reflect the likeness of God. While he had been alive, now there was separation. There I say he was unplugged from God. Where once he had been holy, now he was sinful. The very life of God had left him. And now without the life of God, it was impossible to be godly. You can't be godly without God. You can be religious, but you will not be alive, reflecting the likeness. You may try all your best, educate yourself, discipline yourself, but you will never be able to live the way you were created to live. And Adam failed miserably. Where he had been holy, he was sinful. And where he had been upright in his personality, now he was warped and twisted in his personality. Now he could plan good, and bad. Now in his emotion he could love and lust. And love is the sacrifice of yourself for the benefit of others. But love is the indulgence of yourself at the expense of others. And now with his will he could do whatever he wanted within the freedom God had given him. He was depraved. He was polluted. He was now no longer able to live correctly. He was dead. In fact, the Bible goes further and says, dead in trespasses and sins. 
dead and trespasses overstepping God's boundaries. And sins, violation of God's character. Because now Adam and Eve, instead of reflecting the likeness of God and telling truths about God, now they reflected their own self and their own sin. That's why in general terms, the world of psychology talks of it as mask wearing. Where most people do not want anyone to know how bad they are, and so they wear a mask. But in the end, the person knows, and their creator knows. Now, there was no relationship, and there was wrong behavior. Now, there was immorality and impurity and greed, and jealousy and envy and murder and hate. Now, there were truths about humanity, where once there had been truths about God. They were reflecting their own sin. And then in Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, if you would look at that. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. I think at this point we jump to verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness and in his own image. Oh, what had happened? Now Adam, separated from God and malfunctioning, not behaving correctly, now Adam had children in his likeness, separated from God and malfunctioning, not behaving correctly. And so every human being since Adam has been born physically alive and spiritually separated from God. So we read in 1 Corinthians 15.22 In Adam all die. In Adam's family from which we all came in Adam's family all die. All are separated from God. All are disconnected from God. All are out of harmony with God. And so Adam was created in the image of God to reflect the likeness of God And Adam died in his relationship with God and his ability to reflect the likeness of God. So there is the problem. The problem isn't where men and women are going when they die. Because eternal life is not what you receive after you die. Because the problem is not where you're going. The problem is who you are and what you're becoming. So the great need is to correct the problem. Separation, reconnection. Wrong living, right living. That can only come from reconnection. And so Jesus came to restore the relationship and restore the likeness. He put it in these words, Luke 19. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. To restore back 
the relationship that was lost. To reconnect the relationship that was lost. And so, built into the human psyche, as Pascal says, is this God-shaped vacuum that only God can fulfill and fill. And so, the quest continually is for life. Where have I come from? What am I doing here? Where am I going to? And we have a generation today, particularly in the West, who have grown up in an educational system that's told them that they've come from sludge, that there is no meaning to life, and there is no ultimate life after death. So in the end, Louis Palau was correct when 26, 7 years ago, he said in Scotland in his crusade in the Kelvin Hall, it's either back to the Bible or back to the jungle. Now, just think this week, if you watch the news, what you've seen or what you've read and the state our nation is in. That's what happens when a second and a third generation come along who have had the carpet pulled from with under their feet that taught them that there were absolutes of right and wrong and good and bad, that there is meaning and purpose to life, that they have value and that there is a life after death. I am not discouraged, though I am disappointed with our nation. I am not discouraged with... My message. In fact, the darker the days, the brighter the message of the gospel should shine. This should be a day and an age when Christians stand out almost like floodlights in the world in which they live. But the sadness is, so often there is very little difference between you and your neighbor. They've got a nice house, you've got a nice house. They've got a nice car, you've got a nice car. They go on cruises, you go on cruises. They wear nice clothes, you wear nice clothes. So what's the difference? Some of them live good lives. Some Christians live bad lives. So what's the difference? Is there any compelling difference about the way we live that causes them to say, I want to be like them? Or do they look and think, well, religion's their thing, golf is mine. Religion's their thing, family is mine. Is there anything that they see about you and me that causes them to long for the life that we have. Jesus said that he came to seek and save the lost. And he came that they might have life and have it to the full. Not just physical life and soulish life, but spiritual life. Full-orbed life. Because in the end... A restored relationship, like a plug into the electric socket, produces the electricity that flows through it. 
And when you and I are reconnected to God, walk hand in hand with him, the life of God begins to flow. Why? Because that God and the person of Jesus rose from the dead. Let me take it one step further. When Jesus died on the cross, he took our place. Whose place? The sins of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And he took our place. Not only that, but redemption was accomplished. We're redeemed not with corruptible things such as silver or gold, but the precious blood of Christ. And Jesus died on a cross to pay the price for our sins, to satisfy the justice of a holy God, that we might be set free from sin to live no longer in it. But not only that, he accomplished propitiation. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, but not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. And he satisfied God's justice. But not only all that, God was in Christ reconnecting a lost world to himself. And now there's a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. There's a door that is open that you and I may go in at Calvary's cross. It's where we begin when we come as a sinner to Jesus. But he didn't just die on a cross. He rose from the dead. Now, I know the overhead, which is now in PowerPoint, is not a good one. You think that's a broken biscuit or something. But it's the only way at the time I knew how to do an empty tomb. You see, death could not hold its prey. Jesus, my Savior, he tore the bands away. Jesus, my Lord, up from the grave he arose. And we meet this Sunday morning all around the world, the Christian church, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the very foundation of our faith, the very Gibraltar rock on which it is built, which if he did not rise, Paul says, then we are of all people most miserable. Worse still, we've made him out to be a liar because we said that God raised him. But if there's anything I've got to grips with over the years, it's the wonderful truth of the resurrection that Jesus rose from the dead, not only to authenticate his deity, Romans 1, 3 and 4. He's declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. But also this wonderful truth that without him we can do nothing. But in his strength we can do all things. And he rose from the dead that he might come and live within us. His spirit linking with our spirit and becoming one spirit and regenerating our dead spirit to life so that we can think his thoughts and feel his feelings and obey his will and present our bodies a living sacrifice and say, Lord, here am I. Use me. And so I take you to Romans 5.10, please. Someone said this morning, I think the children's talk, and probably absolutely correct and accurate, the most preached on verse in the Bible, most loved verse in the Bible, John 3.16, I simply tell you I've preached more in Romans 5.10 than any other verse in the Bible. It is the very heart of what the gospel is all about. It's 
It's got the two sides of the car. For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more? Do you get that? Jesus died on a cross to reconnect me to God, to reconcile me to God. Because reconnection just means the concept of restoring back to original position, but reconciliation means restored back to that position where there can be a relationship, mind to mind, emotion to emotion, and will to will, and we can walk with Him, and we can talk with Him. For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved, rescued, delivered, liberated by his life? Wow. I knew everything about Jesus dying for me. But I heard very little about Jesus rising for me. And yet he rose for me, that he might come by his spirit and live within me. Where I'm wrong to make me right. When I'm off course to get me on course. When I'm weak to make me strong. So that I might become the man he created me to be. And although I have not arrived, let me tell you, despite what some of you may think, there has been an incredible change over the years. And so, the Lord Jesus Christ came. In fact, Charles Price, writing a commendation for my book, said something very interesting that I was encouraged by. Pastor of the People's Church Toronto. To know what happens when we are saved, we need to know what happened to Adam when he fell. Salvation is an exact reversal of Adam's fall. In which explains that our problem is not that we are guilty, but that we are dead. Spiritually dead. So the answer is much more than forgiveness. It's to receive life, which is the only thing that counters death. And this life is the life of Christ himself, who comes to live his life in us in order to express himself through us. No wonder this book makes a Christian life possible, purposeful, and exciting. And Jesus rose from the dead to come and live within me. And you. To totally fulfill you to the potential that God created you for. To enable you to be the man or the woman you were created to be. To enable you to be the husband or the wife you were created to be. To enable you to be the parent or the child you were created to be. To enable you to be the employer or the employee you were created to be. To enable you to be what you yourself long to be. And with him. That is totally possible. So what happens? We must come by faith. We must come by faith. Let me just remind you, Romans 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart you believe and you are justified. It's with your mouth you confess and are saved. Full stop, no additions, no subtractions. The first confession of the Christian church given by um, a persecutor who became a preacher, a sinner who became a saint. Saul of Tartus who became the Apostle Paul. When I was teaching at the pastor's conference, a pastor came up to me afterwards and he said to me, very honest question, he said, 
where does easy believism fit into this? I said, well, you find nowhere in the Bible the term easy believism or even difficult believism. If you make something difficult, maybe you're adding what God never wanted added. If you're saying it's too simple, you're maybe saying God didn't have the right thing in mind when he said what he said. And God inspired the Apostle Paul to write, if you will confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised them from the dead, you will be saved. Full stop. I leave the rest to God. You see, in the end, it's not easy believism, difficult believism, hard believism. It's whether I believe or I don't believe. Whether I trust or I don't trust. And so we must come by faith. And when we come, Romans 5, 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me visualize this in the next slide in a very simple way. So a man or a woman, a boy and a girl, realizes that Jesus died on a cross for their sins and rose from the dead to give them life. Any boy, barrel, man or woman who comes and kneels at the foot of the cross, so to speak, and puts their faith in the Jesus who died for them and the Jesus who rose from them, the relationship is restored. They're at peace with God. The hostility's over. The battle's finished. The separation is gone. Once more, they walk hand in hand with God. But not only that, there is a restored behavior. It's not that you become instantly perfect, because as you are born physically alive, it takes quite a few years for some of us to mature. Same with spiritual. As you have a new birth, a spiritual birth, it takes us time to grow and mature and develop. But the potential is now there, because the electricity is flowing through the bulb, the life of God is in the person willing and wanting to flow through them. And if I can finish this way. Life before death has this wonderful situation where the believer is alive in Christ. The believer is alive in Christ. Not just the Baptist going to a Baptist church or a Presbyterian going to a Presbyterian church. Or a Pentecostal going to a Pentecostal church. Or a brethren going to a brethren assembly. 1 Corinthians 15.22 For as Adam all die, so in Christ all are made alive. Did you get that? So in Christ all are made alive. You see, the moment you believe, or anyone believes, in the Jesus who died for them, and the Jesus who rose from them, or the Holy Spirit of God takes them out of the body, the family of Adam, and immerses them into the body, the family of Christ. And you become an individual member of that body, of which Christ is the head. You now have a new Lord, a new boss, who has the right to call the shots and to take the play with everything and anything you and I have. Absolutely. Not only that, as a member of the body, he gives us gifts that we might minister to the body. Not only that, he gives us work to do that he determined for us before the foundation of the work. 
It's only often looking back that you can see things more clearly than looking forward. I think most of us will agree in that. So, in the end, there are things that Morgan and I have done, places we've gone, people we've been involved with, that looking forward, we would never have dreamt ministering to that situation, in that situation, to that person, with that need. Never. But looking back, we can now see that in ways that are determined by his sovereignty, we amazingly have been fulfilling work that he predetermined we do before even the foundation of the world. Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. You see, this is the wonderful truth. The believer is alive in Christ. We're within the body of believers, locally and globally, and he is Lord, and he ministers to his body and through his body with the gifts he's given to the body so that the body is healthy and strong and ministers one to the other. Now, I would assume this morning that most of you are in Christ. Now, that sounds terrible for a person whose heart is the heart of an evangelist. But it's just truthful. Oh, there'll be some of you listening this morning who aren't. You're disconnected from God. On the other hand, the people who are in Christ can enjoy the relationship one with the other, can minister to one another. But the great danger can be that they've never discovered the other truth based on the resurrection, that Christ is alive in the believer. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, Jesus rose from the dead that he might come, not just and strengthen me, but come and live within me, supplying the power that is necessary, guiding the thoughts that are essential, touching the emotions that feel and have compassion. And strengthening the will that we might walk in harmony with him. You see, one of the great dangers is that this morning there are people who have petrol in the tank and they're still pushing the car. There are people of Jesus in their life and still living by law. But Jesus, but Paul said to the Colossians, as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, so continue to live in him. And you received him by faith, now continue to live in him by faith. Allow him to be Lord. Allow him to call the shots. Allow him to dictate the play. Allow him to order your day. Allow him to do whatever he wants to do. Because nothing will come into your day that has not passed his desk and he's rubber stamped it and said, okay, you can do that. And nothing will take God by surprise, but many things will take you and me by surprise. So the wonderful truth is that he lives within me. He lives within me. So that he may reach out through my eyes and listen through my ears and speak through my voice. 
reach out through my hands and walk through my feet. He wrote to the Colossians and put it this way, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hope, of course, is an interesting word in the Bible. It doesn't mean it the way we often use it. I hope it will be a good day tomorrow. The fact that we had one yesterday doesn't guarantee another one today. I admire many of you have come out in summer dresses and short slits, shirts and sleeves, you know, having not checked the weather forecast today because it should have been raining by now. But the end result is this. That the Lord Jesus Christ comes to live within us by his spirit. As I said, his spirit linking with our spirit and regenerating our spirit, dead spirit to life. So that it's Christ in you, the hope, not wishful thinking, the hope, the confidence of glory, reflected likeness. And now the total potential is there. It's a mystery because it's not revealed in the Old Testament. And when not revealed in the Old Testament and revealed in the New, it's called a mystery. And this mystery is the very God of this universe and the person of the Lord Jesus by his Spirit comes to live within us. And now once more, God is living within man as his life and his life. And now the potential to be and do and become is now ours. And he walks with me. And he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. In many ways, I'm a recovering legalist. It's always much easier to live by law than live by grace. But it's wrong. And the wonderful truth of grace is that I live in harmony with the Spirit of God, the risen Christ. I will automatically fulfill the law of God. For the whole law is fulfilled in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. Because when you love your neighbor, you don't lie to your neighbor. When you love your neighbor, you don't steal from your neighbor. When you love your neighbor, you don't commit adultery with your neighbor's wife. When you love, you fulfill. And suddenly life takes on a totally different meaning. I don't have to justify myself, defend myself. I have to walk. Empowered by the risen Christ. So that when he says go, I go. So that when he says stop, I stop. So when he says give, I give. And the biggest battle of all is not my will, but your will. But the biggest blessing of all is to know I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Father in heaven, thank you for this incredible message that life starts now. And continues forever. The relationship starts now. And never ends. And one day. We shall see you. And be like you. For we will see you as you are. Help us to be the men. And the women. You create us to be. 
and you want us to be. We pray in Jesus' name.